along, they will count in the great by and by. Years ago, back when people still heated their homes with a wood-burning stove, this fellow was in church services. He was real bad to fall asleep during church services. And his wife always had her eye on him, you know, and if he would start to slip off to sleep, she would nudge him and and, uh, get him back awake. And so this particular morning, the, the wife was quite engrossed with the sermon, and she hadn't been paying close attention to her husband, and he had fallen off in a pretty deep sleep. I mean, he'd, he'd, got, he'd gotten really asleep. Well, she nudged him, and he didn't wake up, so she just really gouged him with her elbow, you know, to get him awake. Well, he roused up, and he said, If you want another log put on the fire, you get up and put it on yourself. Uh, he imagined he was home in bed asleep, and that's probably the way it went at home. Uh, if it got cold in the middle of the night, and the wife wanted an extra log on the fire, he said, if you want one, you get up and put it on yourself. Well, people fall asleep in church services. We're just telling that story to illustrate that that is a problem. Sleeping in church services, of course, is sort of a perennial problem. We see this guy here who has fallen off in fairly deep sleep. I'm going to tell you. I am completely sympathetic with that. I understand that that is something that can happen. It's easy enough to do. Uh, sometimes people have special circumstances. Maybe some people are on a type of medication maybe that makes them sleepy. Or maybe you've had a long night. Maybe you, maybe you had uh, some kind of an emergency situation, a sick child that you had to care for all night long. Maybe you worked late, but you came to services anyway, and you're sleepy. And it's, it's understandable. I would say that we all need to do the best we can. And we need to try to stay awake. We're doing important things here when we come together for worship. We need to do our best. Try to be rested. Uh, Try your best to come to services with an alert mind so that you can fully participate. Having said all that, though, I I certainly sympathize uh, with the the reality that from time to time we get sleepy. Sit still long enough and you get sleepy. Today, our lesson is that we need to... But we're going to talk about it not from the physical sense of falling asleep in a church service, getting off in a deep sleep while the sermon is being preached. Rather, today we want to talk about spiritual realities. And we want to talk about the fact that, sadly, many people are asleep spiritually, meaning that they are not aware and they are not paying attention like they should. Um, you ever been driving your car? And maybe late at night and you're very sleepy, and but you keep going and you keep driving. And then suddenly something kind of wakes you up and, and you realize that you can't much remember the last several miles that you've driven. That's a scary thing. And it's also a very dangerous thing when you're not awake and when you're not alert. Spiritually, it's even more dangerous for us to be proceeding along uh, in life without a good awareness of the spiritual realities around us. And so, this morning, our lesson is that we need to wake up. And I hope you understand we're using that expression to mean be aware, pay attention to the spiritual things that are going on around you. That will be our discussion this morning. Let's stop for a minute before we go further to say thank you for being here. We're certainly grateful for the presence of everyone. Uh, As Lee mentioned, we've got visitors and we're glad you've come and we want you to come back whenever you can. Thanks for being interested in spiritual things on a beautiful Lord's Day like today in Middle Tennessee. Uh, We're aware of the fact that 
There are lots of other things that you could be doing with your time this morning, but you've devoted it to this, and we're glad for that. We take encouragement from you. We appreciate you very much. Let's talk about the need to wake up spiritually. The text for our lesson this morning is from Romans chapter 13, beginning verse 11, which Arthur read earlier. Let's read this again. Paul says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Several points, I think, there in that text that deserve our attention. The first of them, I would point out, is this, that we need to be realistic about time. Be realistic about time. Are you aware of a, uh, maybe in a, in a factory or an assembly line type of environment where there are people who are actually time management experts? And they maybe sit at the assembly line. Mike, you might be able to tell us about some of them that do it out at the plant. They got a stopwatch and they're, they're timing workers how long it takes them to put this part on, how long it takes to take, put that next part on. And they're actually using a stopwatch. And so they come along and say, okay, for the worker who's doing this job at this station, he has to be able to complete his job in 30 seconds. As, as maybe the car's moving down the assembly line, and it gets to this point, and this work, he's got 30 seconds to do this and this and this to the car as it passes on to the next station. Well, a lot of those so-called time management experts are not very good at being realistic about time. He's, this guy says, and they assign 30 seconds to do this job, when in reality, that job couldn't possibly be completed in 30 seconds. It takes more like two minutes to get all of that done. The guy's not being realistic about time. Uh, we, we would tell that guy, you need to get real. Come on. Now, that, that's not realistic about time. Well, when it comes to spiritual matters, we need to get real too and be realistic about the time frame. When it comes to our spiritual lives, the, the, the realistic view is we're not here for long. No matter how long you live here upon earth, it won't be very long. In James chapter 4, at verse 14, James uses a word picture that I think is really easy for us to relate to. In James 4, verse 14, he says, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. You know, we're right in the middle of summer, but it won't be too long until winter rolls around. You can see the picture of, a, of those vapors coming out of the tailpipe of an automobile. And there may be a lot of them on a cold morning, uh, quite a cloud of vapor coming out. But just about as soon as it appears, it disappears and is gone. And James says you need to think about your life that way. You need to be realistic about the time of your life. You will not be here for very long. Uh, for all of us assembled together this morning, even the very littlest uh, infants that are present, in the big picture, it won't be long. We won't be here for long. If you live to be 100 years old, it's just the blinking of an eye. It won't last for very long. You've got to be realistic about that. You know, uh, also, we have to accept the fact that we may not live to a ripe old age. Maybe something will take us before we get there. Maybe some illness. Maybe some accident. Maybe something could happen to end our lives abruptly. 
In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, it says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And so, be realistic about time. If you've been thinking that there's plenty of time to get around to obeying God, I can do that later. I've got lots of time left. You need to to be realistic about time. You're only, at best, you're only here for a little while. And even more so, your life could be cut short. Uh, the time is, it's now high time, Paul says, for us to awake out of sleep. Get aware, spiritually. Secondly, we need to understand, this is really in close conjunction with the first point, but we understand that we're constantly drawing nearer to eternity. Uh, Paul makes an obvious statement to emphasize this point we've been talking about, time. There's no way to know when the end will be. Uh, again, it could uh, our time on earth could end because of our death, or even another potential is that the Lord would return uh, and all things would come to an end. Now, we're not predicting that. Unfortunately, there are some people in the religious world who take it upon themselves to try and predict when the Lord will come. We understand the Scriptures to say that that's not possible. It's no one can say, no one can make a prediction about when the end will be, and we're not doing that. But regardless, it is still a true observation that we are drawing constantly nearer to eternity. Every day brings us closer to that. For those of you who are Christians, how long has it been since you obeyed the Gospel? That might be kind of a... Uh, eye-opening thing to stop back and calculate that. For some of us who are growing older and who maybe obeyed the gospel in our youth, it's been a long while. Now, some of you are, are, are newer to the faith, but some of us have been Christians for a long, long time. We keep drawing closer to eternity. And as we grow closer to eternity, as Christians, you've been a Christian maybe for a long time, but are you growing? Are you stronger? Are you overcoming those spiritual weaknesses that you've had? Or are you still dealing with some of the same things over and over again? You've got to realize you're getting closer to eternity. For those of you who are not Christians, who are not fa- or, or for Christians who are not faithful in Christ, uh, when was the first time that you understood what you needed to do and you had that urging to obey the gospel but you said no? And then it seems like to say no continues to get easier and easier. You need to realize that you're drawing nearer to eternity. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 beginning verse 2, Paul says, Yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Uh, the Lord's coming. Judgment will be had. Uh, we need to be realizing that is so. In this, in this text that we're studying, notice Paul said, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And so, be realistic about the time and know that we're drawing closer and closer to eternity. And then, again, all of this so closely tied together, what is obvious is that judgment is coming. Right here, uh, Paul says, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. I, I, I really think that that's an expression denoting the coming judgment. The night that I think he's talking about, the night is far spent, 
I believe that has to be a reference to the sort of moral darkness that encompasses the earth. And the day it is at hand, I believe, to be a reference to the coming of Christ and, uh, and, and, his rev- and, and Him to be revealed as the judge of all and the redeemer of the righteous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, uh, we understand that we are going to be in judgment, uh, that we will be judged when the Lord returns. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. And that judgment is coming for all of us. Over in Revelation chapter 20, the Apostle John foresaw that great judgment scene. In John, uh, Revelation, John spoke in Revelation 20, beginning verse 12. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Judgment is coming. Now, all of that is true. And I think Paul is dealing with that, with that here in this text where he basically tells us, get aware, be perceptive, realize what's going on spiritually. What are the realities? Well, time is brief. We're getting closer to eternity constantly. Judgment is coming. Now, those are the facts. You know, as someone says, that's the what. Now what? Or uh, he tells you what. Now we might ask, so what? So what that those things are true? Well, what's the, how should we react to that? Well, the text goes on to tell us what to do. We need to rid our lives of evil. Did you notice here he says, uh, therefore. So since these things we've just been talking about are true, therefore, what are we supposed to do? He says, let us cast off the works of darkness. We need to rid our lives of evil. Um, he also says, he gives a little more specifics about that. He says, let us walk properly uh, as in the day, not in. So in other words, these are some of the things he wanted them to be rid of. Revelry and drunkenness, lewdness and lust, strife and envy. Do you understand those terms that the apostle uses there? He says, we need to cast off the works of darkness. And he mentions some of them. Some of those works of darkness that need to be cast off. Revelry and drunkenness. Well, of course, the idea of revelry, I, I suppose if we were going to use some kind of modern vernacular, we would say something like wild parties and drunkenness. Wild parties and drunkenness. We need to uh, uh, cast off those works of darkness. Well, someone says, you know, I don't do that. Now, there might have been a time in my life when I did that, so I don't do that sort of thing anymore. I, I, I don't go to wild parties uh, and I don't get drunk. Now, obviously, there's a lot of that going on in the world today, and nobody could deny that. But for most of us here this morning, I think we could say, that's, that's not my problem. Uh, I'm certainly not tempted in those directions. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay in regards to revelry and drunkenness, someone might say. Well, that's not the only forms of darkness and evil that need to be rid of our lives. He talks about lewdness and lust. Well, those things, of course, are very prevalent in the world. And I've got to say that we're all susceptible to that, right? If we're not if we're not paying attention, uh, lewdness and lust can be overcoming in in the lives of even a Christian. 
We've got to be on guard. If we've been guilty of those things, we need to put them away. But as so often happens, whenever we see a a sort of listing of sins, it's amazing what's all lumped together. Someone says, well, I don't have a problem with wild partying and drunkenness, and I'm on guard against lewdness and lust. But notice in that same grouping, he lists strife and envy. Uh, Those things are common even in the Lord's church. Uh, We see strife and envy And the message is, get rid of those things, put them off. How will you answer in judgment? Because that's what we're talking about here. Judgment is coming. How will you answer in judgment if you knew that you had a problem with any of those kind of things? Or And and obviously, this is not a categorical listing of all evil. But you had a problem with the kind of things that he mentions even right there. And you did nothing about it, nothing to correct it. How will you answer in judgment? In Romans chapter 14, Verses 11 and 12. Romans chapter 14, verse 11. It says, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, that's what's going to happen. How will you answer? You knew you had some of these very specific problems. You knew you allowed wickedness and evil to continue in your life. You had never cleared it out. You had never ridded your life of those kinds of evil. How will you answer in the judgment? We've got to think about that. We need to wake up. We also need to clothe ourselves in righteousness. Um, I think all of us understand that our clothes often tell something about us. Clothes make a statement about who we are, maybe what we do. If you were to go over to Lowe's this week someday and you're shopping for something, it wouldn't matter what you're shopping for, but you see a guy there and he's got on all white clothes and a white hat, but the, the clothes are splattered with paint. What would you say? That guy's a painter. I can tell by the way he's dressed. I can tell by the way he's clothed that he is a painter. Or maybe you're uptown around the square and you see some guy in a pinstripe three-piece suit and you might say, that guy looks like a Philadelphia lawyer. He probably is a lawyer, you know. They, they they hang around the court courthouse up there during the week. And you can tell by the way he's dressed, he's a lawyer. In other words, you clothe yourself in a way that's appropriate to what you are. Well, for those of us who are Christian, of course, that's literal clothing. But here, Paul says that we are to uh, figuratively clothe ourselves in a way that identifies us as... Uh, disciples of Christ. He says, let us put on the armor of light. And here he says, let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to clothe ourselves in such a, in such a way, with a moral character, if you will, that identifies us as disciples of the Lord. I'm sad to say that from time to time I've heard people use an expression along the lines of, I can't believe that that guy's a Christian. I know what he does. I know how he talks. I know how he acts. I know where he goes. I know the people that he hangs out with. I can't believe that he's a Christian. What are they saying? Well, he hasn't clothed himself in righteousness, right? But if we're aware of the times, if we know we're drawing close to eternity and judgment is coming, then we've got to get rid of evil and we've got to put on righteousness. We've got to demonstrate to the world around us that we're serving the Lord. The expression here uh, where Paul says, let us put on the armor of light, 
That sort of reminds us of Ephesians chapter 6, doesn't it? Doesn't that call to your mind the Christian armor, so to speak, in Ephesians chapter 6? He says, verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to, we need to clothe ourselves in righteousness. We need to be identifiable by those things. We need to put on the armor of light. We need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this idea of putting on Christ. Look in Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, beginning. It says, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put off the new, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Uh, we're to put on Christ. We're to be like Christ. You know, the, uh, several years ago there was this popular trend, uh, people were wearing pieces of jewelry that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? Yeah, that, that was just a trendy fashion thing that's, that's gone by the by. But really, the concept is a legitimate one. We need to ask, what would Jesus do? We need to act as he would have acted. Uh, that's a, a good way of thinking. And, we, and, and that is involved in this business of clothing ourselves in righteousness. Did you notice here, he said, let us walk properly? What's implied when it says, let us walk properly? Well, it, it implies that there's an improper way to, to walk. There's right and wrong. You know what is right, and therefore you need to be doing it. And so, since time is short, eternity is approaching, judgment is coming, we need to rid our lives of evil, we need to clothe ourselves in righteousness. Finally, one last point from the text comes from verse 14 where it says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The word provision, you understand what that means? The word provision, when it says make no provision for the flesh, the word provision means literally making plans, planning ahead. Uh, it, it suggests the idea of forethought. Now, this says don't plan ahead to provide for the flesh for the fulfillment of its lust. In other words, do not have in place, do not make preparations, do not do things that make it easy for you to fulfill uh, the lust of the flesh. Uh, don't have in place that things that set you up for spiritual failure. That's what he's saying there. And I think that's really an important point. Maybe, maybe that's something we all need more, uh, to stress on a daily basis. Don't put in place things that will make it easy for us to fail spiritually. Uh, what would you think about a fellow who was an alcoholic, but he constantly frequented bars? He's trying to, he says, I've got a problem with alcoholism. I've I got a problem with drunkenness. But he's always going to a bar. You'd say, man, what's wrong with you? Wake up. 
You're an alcoholic. You can't be going to a bar. Or maybe when we're on a diet, you know, I'm on a diet. I'm trying to lose weight. But I got a big chocolate cake sitting right in the middle of the kitchen table and I have to walk past it several times a day. I'm just setting myself up for failure. I'm not going to stay on my diet if that chocolate cake's sitting there staring at me constantly. Well, the, the idea is true spiritually too. But we need to remove things that set us up for failure. Um, uh, something I think is a, a, a very uh, appropriate application of this is if we don't regulate ourselves concerning access to the Internet or access to TV and the movies, if we allow ourselves, we make it possible for us to access those things easily, we're just setting ourselves up for failure. If, we, if we're not disciplining ourselves, if we're not making it so that we, you know, I, I think we do that, we make it so that we're setting ourselves up to fail. And what Paul is saying here is don't do that. Don't make provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. In First Peter chapter, excuse me, First John chapter two, First John chapter two, verse fifteen, beginning, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And we need to understand that these things that are pertaining to the flesh and the lust thereof, these things are all just temporary and are going to quickly pass away. All right. What we've got here in this text, right at the end of Romans chapter 13, is some statement of fact. Time is short. We're drawing close to eternity. Judgment's coming. So what do you do about that? Well, you rid the evil out of your life. You clothe yourself in righteousness. And you don't make provision to the flesh to fulfill its lust. I think those are all practical things that we can certainly learn from. We need to wake up. Uh, the time to change and grow will soon be gone. Spiritually, the time to change and grow will soon be gone. Eternity will arrive. And if we're not ready, it'll be too late. And so we need to wake up. What's your situation this morning? How do you stand before God in heaven? Are you right with Him? Have you, have you obeyed the gospel plan of salvation? Are you a Christian? If not, you need to make that decision without delay. Hear the truth. Believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're ready to obey, we're ready to assist you. If you need more study, say so and we will gladly provide it. How can we help you make the decision to get your life right with God? If you're a Christian already, but you've slipped away, you've not been faithful to Him, you've not been doing His will, wake up. Realize. It's too dangerous to stay in that situation. Repent. Confess your faults as needed. Pray for forgiveness. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.